0: UK Motor Talk Hi everyone, we're here, we are back. I'm Mike. I'm Jim. Hello. I'm Graham. Hello. And this is UK Motor Talk, host Goodwood. I'm still recovering a bit from this. One of the guys we spoke to, one of the engineers that was working on the drift cars, reckoned he walked 54 miles in two days. And I can genuinely believe that because there is a lot of ground to cover at Goodwood, isn't there?
1: Uh, Indeed there is. The site is now frighteningly big, you know, from the point at which you get out of your car in the car park and then have to walk a mile to get to the media centre. And the media centre is not at the heart, as one might think, of the event. It's right on the periphery, and if you want to go see the supercars, for example, it's miles and miles and miles to walk. I'm sure your heart bleeds for
2: us, doesn't it? It's certainly good for the step count, although we were uh, we were sort of slightly disappointed, weren't we, Mike, when we had a look at our step count late on in the day, and we're both feeling quite knackered, and we were at 13,000 steps, and you thought, hang on, you're supposed to do 10,000 a day. We got up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and all we have done all day literally is walk, and we're only at thirteen thousand steps. I mean, it's a, although I think there's, we decided there was a lot of standing as, and just time on your feet without actually doing too many steps for a lot of it, wasn't there? But it's—I um, I think it, it doesn't really matter how much time you spend there over the weekend, does it? You could be there from the minute the gates open till the minute the gates close on all four days. And and you'd struggle to see it all. Yeah, I think there'd be something that you'd miss from the weekend. I always come away from the weekend and watch the roundups and the highlight videos and things like that and think, oh, I missed that, didn't see that, missed that, didn't see that, completely missed that bit. But it just whets the appetite for uh, for next year.
1: And then you realise that the only way they've gotten where you didn't is because they've got six or seven or eight crews doing it with the appropriate number of presenters and uh, we're trying to cover all of the bases with rather fewer people. Maybe they
2: just have e-scooters so they can nip
1: about or maybe they all have Citroen Amis I'm not sure. Uh, well maybe they have golf carties galore. Yeah
2: I think you could probably legally drive a Citroen Ami everywhere else that that you could drive a golf buggy couldn't you and get away with
1: it. I think
0: you probably could. I'm. It turns out I've completely missed Koenigsegg.
2: Where were they? No, didn't see them at all. I think there was, was, yeah, a couple of sections that we'd uh, maybe accidentally slightly, uh slightly in. So we must, uh, we must try and do more walking next year. That's our, that's our resolution. If we could try and do a hundred miles over the four days.
1: I never usually get time to read the uh, program and the magazine and so on and so on uh, until uh, sometimes later on the Sunday night or even the following day. I was always disappointed in myself that I haven't got to more places, but. It just isn't possible. Even in four days, you just can't cover it. How the Duke does it, God knows. Up until relatively recently, he and his um, sidekick, his um, personal assistant, who's carrying a diary which gets larger and larger and larger, they used to go across the site on a dirt bike. I was about to say, I, I, I think a dirt that. bike or, or maybe a jet pack.
2: <laughs> I think that's the way to do the festival next year. If, if you had a jet pack and just buzzed around everywhere, that would be the way to do it. You just wanted that so you can say, I have to fly, and then just take off. Yes, I, can, I'm, I'm, yeah. I think we need to start a Patreon and kick the Patreon up several notches so we can afford to buy three or four jet packs for next year. What do we reckon? Yeah. I think it's a great idea. In
0: fact, if you want to provide us Good. with jetpacks, you can always find us anywhere at UK Motor Talk across all media. Uh, or, indeed, if you happen to uh, run and own a European news channel and you would like to fund us to fly around, uh, indeed, then we are UK Motor Talk on jetpacks. Uh, hashtag UK <laughs> talk on jet you can on jetpacks. You'll be able to find us. Um, if you know anyone, <laughs> then, then let us know. You, I, I, uh, I,
1: I think we should do uh, some colours as well. We, we should look like a sort of budget version of the Red Arrows. Very budget. A, a,
0: a slightly dad-bod version of the Red Arrows. <laughs> we, we flop around Goodwood, um, so to speak. <laughs> interesting choice of words. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's great, though, isn't it? We're almost always at Goodwood for something or another. And um, there's always something new to see. And it, it's interesting. I think there's perhaps a few less of the, the bigger manufacturers. There. I was quite surprised to see that BMW were there, but not many. Um, BMW celebrating 50 years of M this year, so obviously yeah, a big thing yeah. to uh, to celebrate. And there's some some very interesting stuff there. Um, I was more interested in the E30 they had uh, and the E46 uh, M3 CSL, which was gorgeous, although it did Beautiful have the car. SMG box. Yes, yeah, so I'm not sure. I'd probably want a manual one of those instead. Although you had a, a sit
2: and play in the, um, the M3 touring, didn't you, Jim? Yeah, a little bit. Um little bit o t t on the inside i thought just in in a few things in in the way they'd done a few things it was i mean i uh i i adored my old three series I thought there was a a, a very comfortable very well equipped very sporty just just pretty much the perfect car really i mean if uh, if they'd have done a touring version of that i'd have probably bought it and and still have it today i think I just needed that bit more room in it um as it was coming towards the end of its three years, but it was um yeah, just a a few OTT bits, and you know the steering wheel's got even bigger and even chunkier, and and just you know the seats have got even more extreme and even more bolstery and whatever else, and maybe just yeah, I'm not 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 quite sure, but it was a it was a hell of a thing. I think I'd um, if uh, if a few numbers came up on the lottery, I'd uh, I'd definitely put it on the short list of cars to test drive for a couple of three four days and work out which one I wanted to uh, to spend. Hundred and something thousand pounds on to uh, to cart the family around in. I mm. think the surprising thing for me, really, with the with the current range of hot
0: five series, and the M five and like is that they have sticky on wheel arch extensions. Okay, a number of manufacturers have done this. I'm thinking sort of eighties Fords and bits and pieces. In fact, even the nineties ones. I remember they did Mondeos were just just the front. Weird, but they put them on just the back, and it looks pants. You you you're spending that sort of money on a on a car it's a lot of money and this was the same for the electric ones and the and the you know let's say the 5 series but they've got a wider rear wheels on they're just stuck these plastic bits on the edge and i just i don't really get what bmw are doing at the moment and the more they do what they're currently doing the more i think i'd probably buy an rs4 rs6 or probably a, a Taycan or or something else that,
2: isn't that. I, I really like the previous M5 between us you you've always been more Audi and I've been more BMW and, and in fact uh, mm. at the time I was running around in my BMW you, you were running around in your Audi and they they both suited us for very different reasons but we both preferred our own cars but could see the good in in the other's cars but I yeah I look at the the 3 Series Touring now, and I think, well, you just asked me, didn't you? I said, well, if you could have that or an RS6, I'd just, in a heartbeat, I said, I'd have the RS6. Mm. No question. Have You know, having not driven the pair of them back-to-back and sat and looked at the spec and the colours and the options, I just instantly went for the Audi or, as, as you say, I think a Taycan Cross Turismo Grand Sport Estate Bread Van Wagon shooting whatever you want to call it yeah whatever you want to call it um i I think it would probably be a one of them but if it was something internal combustion powered then it would be the audi and it was um it was odd but that's that's the way bmws are going i mean bmw design has always grown on me and taken a while to grow on me but this you know this has taken a bit longer and it's still not growing on me quite yet so i don't know maybe i'm getting a bit old i think it happens as you get older
0: i did like my audi i think there's something about hot audis there's something about um about the Taycan that I like very much indeed electric stuff is becoming more and more appealing to me I, I, like at this point at the other end of the scale just to mention the sheer serenity of sitting in the Polestar 2 uh, we, we sat in the car and just opened and shut the doors several times in the middle of Goodwood just because the noise difference was crazy wasn't it you'd open the doors and it'd be really loud I'd shut the doors and it was just where's everything gone?
2: it was really quiet yeah, it was. It, it was like it had um active noise cancellation or something pumping in the the opposite Ooh. of the noise so it it cancelled it out but the car wasn't on so it definitely even if it does have that it wasn't doing it and uh mm. yeah it was whisper quiet inside it was lovely
0: we've driven cars with that A posh cougar in fact i drove with the active noise cancellation thingy that makes it all quiet inside i kind have I'd forgotten about all that kind of tech largely due to the fact that most of the time i don't really care <laughs> Was pretty. Cool. It had some quite nice little touches in that, didn't it? As well, the things that didn't need to be there but were there just because they were nice. Like this little projective bit that drops out underneath the um, underneath the sunroof and just shines the logo into the roof. No real need for that. It's just a nice a nice feature. Something oh, that's that's nice.
2: Yeah, it must uh, cost a fifty p or a pound or a quid or you know two quid, whatever it is, to integrate it and and get it up and running. But as you say, it's just that nice little. Oh, that's nice. And, and actually, I think every car needs a few of those. Well, that's nice features rather does. than oh yeah, they saved a few quid there. But oh yeah, well it helps keep the price down, doesn't it? So it's all right. It's uh, no, I think as, as cars get more and more expensive, I appreciate the need for um, trimming out uh, cost where you can and, and increasing profit, particularly as, as most manufacturers aren't building many cars at the moment. They certainly need to make more money at the ones they are selling. But I think to uh, to pinch everything, you know, I've never gotten a car and thought, oh, that's a really good way of saving a pound. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, th-
0: I think you appreciate the the gadget a lot more. And the, the thing is with these gadgets that um, that things like adding multicolored LED lights and things in there, or adding LEDs in the footwells and the door bins. How much does that really cost? Probably not a lot, but it just makes it a, no. a, a, a generally a much nicer place to be. Yeah, and what, when other manufacturers are. Oh, I don't need that bit of chrome or bit of stainless steel on there. We can make that out of plastic instead. That will save 50p. Why Why are you cheaping out? Uh, cars are more expensive. So even if it's a case of we need to have things in cars that we perceive as being expensive or premium, or what the manufacturers like to call surprise and delight, which is just sickening, isn't it? Um <laughs> features inside a car. It makes sense to have these little bits. Because you get it, oh, that, that is quite nice. Things like the mirrors, which don't have... Uh, the mirrors move rather than the, the glass inside moving. The whole unit moves,
2: which must be ridiculously expensive if it gets here, But it does look quite cool. We had a conversation about um, utility bills and, uh, and cost of living during the week, didn't we? And what actually really gets you about the electricity, um, gas and petrol and diesel prices going up is it's literally the same as it was a year ago. A litre of petrol today gives you, Mm -hmm. well, ignore the E5, E10 conversation about economy, but if you can ignore that, a litre of petrol today is exactly the same as a litre of petrol was last year, yet the price is near enough double. Why? Your electricity is, it's not like my lights have suddenly got brighter. My electricity's gone up a 100 and a bit pounds a month. I'm, I'm not getting better electricity. My dinner doesn't cook quicker it's exactly the same. So why is it more expensive? I think car manufacturers are in danger of, uh, as you say, cheapening out, but it's more expensive. So you think, well, hang on, I'm I'm now expected to pay more and get less. That, that really doesn't work. And mm. okay, I think as people move between brands, then it's maybe okay, because what is one level of, of trim or fit or finish in one manufacturer's car is different to another. So if you're new to the brand, it's okay. But if you're sat there in a, in a four-year-old Fiesta Focus 3 Series Mini, whatever it is, looking at a brand new one, if you think, well, if I hang on, if I buy the same trim level for more money than I paid for the last one, there's a lot of things in this car that are worse. So why would I buy it? I'll stick with the old one, thank you very
0: much. Mm. And uh, facelifts at this point look a bit cynical, don't they, I think? Mm.
1: It's a bit like the football team changing its team strip twice a year because it's merchandising. And some of the facelifts are just that, I think. They're not about refreshing the brand. They're not about refreshing the model. They're just merchandising. The sobering thought and discovery was that uh,
0: having remortgaged or about to remortgage, looking at the energy bills and food bills and everything else, roughly, and this is the same for lots of families and probably everyone listening, really, I'm about £400 a month worse off for exactly the same thing than I was in February, which seems absolutely mad. Uh, It It does does seem mad um and this prompted me to look at something else car related now we wandered through electric avenue and there were lots of interesting cars including the ego which if you want to hear us talk about that i would strongly suggest listening to our google podcast which you can listen back to where we talk in a lot more detail about all the things we've just spoken about and many other things besides but the Citroen ami now we've talked about this on the podcast several times before We haven't really talked about the pricing in terms of the lease of this. The long story short of this is if you put two and a bit grand in, it's about £20 a month, which is pretty bargainous. But I think better than that, if you put a grand in, it's about £40 a month. If you put nothing in, it's about £50 a month. So if you can do 45 miles to a quid in one of these things, as it stands at the moment, I mean, if you listen to this in, in four months' time and electricity is... Five or six times as much. Sorry, you probably want to go and do the maths yourself. But nevertheless, if I can do forty-five miles to a quid, it's actually cheaper for me to have an AMI and run it than it would be to spend the petrol to get to work. Now, this does present some problems, chief of which is that the AMI will only do twenty-six or twenty-eight miles an hour, depending on where you're reading. It doesn't seem to have ISO fix, which is a bit weird because pretty much every car does. And the roads to work are in order 30, 40, 50, 70, 30. So there's a bit of an issue with being able to travel on these roads. And I'm trying to work out if if I can go a different way to work, which would take me a bit longer, but would mean that I could effectively get to to work cheaper than fuel. So in a weird kind of man maths, it would actually cost (laughs) me more not to own an Ami which is a bizarre way of looking at things and walking isn't possible cycling might be but then you end up very red and sweaty and everything else and it's if it rains it's a problem whereas AMI has a roof now I've booked myself a test drive or whatever it is that we're going to do I'm waiting for Citroen to, to tell me when I can try one and the person I spoke to Citroen said you must try one on your route and see if it works for you so if I can do that I will record all of that and you'll be able to see me driving at 28 miles an hour past all the trucks and bits and pieces uh, and holding on for grim death. <laughs> I like the car. I think it's really fascinating. It's really interesting. And what really surprised me is how much space there is inside because there's no cargo space, and no rear seats. You sit so far back. It's a bit like the first time I've got into a new Mini where the windscreen's upright, but quite away from you. This is this times, times, times. It's like you're sitting in the back seat of something. There's so much so the fact that, from the passenger seat, you can 't touch the bulkhead
2: with your feet yeah I, I stretched my feet out completely and and couldn 't get anywhere near it, so actually on a, a long let well, say a long journey you can 't really do a long journey you know? 're limited no. by the range of the battery, but actually to spend any amount of time in it at all you'd uh, you 'd be quite happy wouldn 't you
0: you would but because bearing in mind, my commute to work is five miles theoretically, this is the perfect car to be able to do that because I could. Go to and fro, to and fro, to and fro, many, many times for most of the week, probably, without having to plug it into my three pin charger or use the little adapter to plug it into a Type 2, which would presumably charge it up in three and a half minutes. And I figured if I made my gate a bit wider at the back of the garden, I could probably drive it into the garden rather than having to worry about parking it out the front, which is fine. One guy, he was very insecure in himself, said that he couldn't possibly drive one because he would just die of embarrassment and all his friends taking the mic out of him. Probably need some better friends,
2: or or otherwise need to be a bit more secure in yourself. Really, yeah, very insecure about something, and the embarrassment. There's there's obviously something that's happened to him in uh, in some point up into his life up until now to (laughs) uh, to make him feel like that. But I didn't uh, didn't
1: quite get it because ultimately it's cool, it's funky, it's
2: different. It's
1: why not? Maybe his dinky toy collection was smaller than anybody else's, and uh, Uh, that scarred him for life. I I don't think I've ever bought one car because I wanted someone
0: else to care about what I drove, I tend to buy the cars that I buy because I either need it for a purpose, i.e. the Volvo, or because (laughs) I want that particular car, or because I have to have that particular car, or it was the one that best suited my needs. I don't buy it because I care what anyone else thinks. I'm sorry if that offends any of you listening, incidentally.
2: Or because it's the one the wife wanted, maybe.
0: Uh, Well, Or because it's the one the wife wanted. That's not my car. Uh, I, I will keep saying this. Um, but you there is something, yes, yeah, I just pay for it. That, that did occur to me, and that's because it's a quadricycle. The AME, this is, and not a car. It doesn't have to pass the same crash testing
2: that cars do, and as a result, I not I can't in, think it has. I think it has to pass all to the same crash test that pedestrians do, don't they? In that, yes, just don't, and that's it. The, don't the crash, crash test is yes. ooh, Don't crash. No silly yeah. idea. Awful business crashing. Don't do that.
0: Considering there's a big gap in front of your feet, that's probably a good thing. I think that's your your crumple zone because there's no airbags and there's no side impact protection to the extent where you can you can sort of push on the inside of the door almost and make it make it pop out on the other side. You're not selling yeah.
1: it to me, Michael. I
0: am genuinely interested in this. But what do you? Inter- interesting think project. Of... Yeah, I mean it's it's a plastic body over a metal frame. So if you think gazebo, uh, you're kind of <laughs> meets Little Type's car. You're kind of there. I'm not knocking it because I think this is this is brilliant. I've I've this has real potential from its 8 horsepower electric motor. And I'd, I'd like to see what if they weren't limited, they could do because I think if it could do 40 or 50 that suddenly makes it a, a completely different proposition. Uh, if slightly terrifying. I'm
2: sure somebody will uh, will crack it or chip it or hack it or whatever they do to uh, to trick it into going that bit quicker whether it's just fitting bigger wheels for a bigger top speed, you know, you can do that with uh, with E-bikes, mountain bikes, they come with a certain size wheel on them, so you fit a big wheel and you go bigger or you move the sensor and it tricks it
1: into thinking it's doing a different speed and you can go that bit quicker with it. But it is a car that's that's a part of, a long existing part of French car culture. You know, yes. very, very small cars, very, very small engines, very limited speeds, sometimes very limited uh, safety, but the French have always bought those in in. Quite large numbers. Never see them anywhere else other than France, mind. There's a good reason for this. That's because I, I can't remember if it's 14 or 16, one of the two, that you can
0: drive those in France and you don't have to have a licence. If you if you lost your licence, you could still drive one.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. The drink-driving regulations where you would lose your licence, but you can still drive one of those microcars.
0: Yeah. yeah, so if, if you think you've got the option of taking a scooter, which would do whatever it might do, 30-ish miles an hour, or you can take this instead, and it's... It's dry. There is a heater, which is very loud. Uh, There's no blower, no fan. There's no stereo, effectively. You stick your phone in the top of the dashboard and that's it. But you can buy a Bluetooth speaker for it, I found, which is, oh, I know, which goes in the cup holder. And if you pay an extra (laughs) £400, you get some little trinket trays that go on the top of the dash and hubcaps and some stickers. But The trinket trays are designed, and this is genuinely true, um, so it will hold a cup of coffee, and a croissant. And I think that's <laughs> I, think, I think that's genuinely interesting. I want I, I really I really do want to drive one and I want to see what it's like. But what do you guys think about A only being able to do about thirty miles an hour and the safety of that guy getting in people's way? And B, how would you feel in that against something like a I say against something of like Glory? with lorries and such coming past you.
1: Well, given the typical speeds on the M25 now, uh, that at its top speed would be roughly equivalent to the average top speed on the M25. But in terms of that small car against a 40-ton truck, yeah, I wouldn't rate your chances highly. It's maybe unfair to compare
2: it to a normal car in the traditional sense. You know, you compare it to anything brand new and that's five-star Euro N capped up or uh, or even your old Volvo or just, well, any car made since about 1982, I would suggest, it is not as safe, but it's safer than walking, it's safer than being on a bike, on a scooter, on a moped, and it is more akin to the scooter, moped, quad bike end of Mm. transport than it is... A Mercedes E-Class, isn't it? It's far, far, far closer to a quad bike than a Volvo Estate in in terms of size and fit and finish and feel and ethos. So it's it's probably slightly unfair to slate it for that reason. I think. I mean, I've I've for a while held the belief that I think a sensible road safety rule would be ignoring um, thirty and forty mile an hour limits cause they're and twenties as well because they're generally in you know built up slower moving. Busier areas, anyway. I I never think it's a good idea to drive a vehicle on a road where you cannot do the speed limit. For example, you wouldn't want mm. to ride your push bike on the M twenty five. You wouldn't want to drive a tractor on a motorway. When I'm out and about on the mountain bike, I uh, I avoid dual carriageways or sixty mile an hour roads uh, wherever possible. If I if I need to cross one and do a very short journey on it, then uh, then okay. But I will try and restrict that to. I'll cross over here, join it there and get off and go up the other side as soon as I can because it's, it's just not safe and, and you get in the way in the closing speed of a car behind you doing 60 or 70 and you're bimbling along at 10, 20, 30 miles an hour, whatever you're doing, it's just it's not safe. But I I think with the commute I'd, uh, I'd be all right with it. What it would maybe teach you is, uh, is awareness. I often found at college anyone who'd driven a moped or a scooter at 16 for a year before they learnt to drive were a much more aware driver. They were much more observant and, and careful of things around them because for a year they'd been riding around and, and if something bumped into them, regardless of whose fault it was, they would come off worse and it would hurt. So
1: quite,
2: that i quite so, you I've been, a lot I've about, uh, about yeah. paying attention. So I, I think it would it would certainly hone your instinct from that point of view. I think if a, if a 16 or 17-year-old drove one as their first car, they'd probably drive it. Uh, and approach it slightly differently to the way we would i think with our knowledge and experience i think we'd we'd try and treat it too much like a car which it Mm. isn't really and and less like a quad which let's face it it is
0: yeah it's true i I spent a lot of time driving twizzies going back and i'm sure i've probably mentioned this before but I did quite enjoy driving those things. They used to drift as well, but they'll do 56, uh, <laughs> 56 miles an hour uh, and, and were absolutely a sort of a replacement for a scooter because if you had the option of doors, and they were an option you had to pay for, and they, they were rubbish. You had to, you didn't have windows. They were sort of plastic jobbies that went down the side, which meant you couldn't see out of them when it rained, which is when you'd want <laughs> the windows in. Uh, and you had to open the window flap to put your hand inside to open the door, if, if memory serves. They were a bit pants. But I could understand that that makes sense.
1: I remember when the, the smarts, uh, smart cars first appeared and I fell for them straight away. I thought they were brilliant little cars because they were, you, you still had quite a lot of performance, sporty performance uh, away from the lights and so on. You could really in, in, enjoy the car. But at the same time, you had an amazingly practical and cheap to run car. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I was still very much in favour of those in the early days and still am. Well, they're not very small now, are they? Though. Well, no, no, no mean, they, they're, they're just ugly. They've got a bit like golf's. They've just overinflated them. Um, <laughs> but, but to echo Jim's point about scooters, having had a couple of spills when I was on scooters a very long time ago, yes, it did make you a little more aware not only what you were doing, but what other people around you were doing. That's probably no bad
2: thing. And I think we were uh, yeah. we were chatting on the uh, in our WhatsApp group, and we'd uh, we'd alluded to briefly in our. Formula One round up, the uh, the subject of safety in uh, in Formula One and cars in general. You know what's what's been the biggest single thing or the biggest leap forward in road safety over the last few years. And it was like, well, actually, the the best thing anybody can do is pay attention. Because hmm. if everybody was paying attention all the time, there would be far fewer accidents. If anything, there there might actually be no accidents if everybody was looking at everything all the time, and uh, and driving correctly. But it was the uh, it was the drink driving. Uh, video that I'd stumbled across, YouTube recommended to me for, for some reason. It was the uh, uh, a, a reporter, roving reporter down the pub a couple of days before the drink driving laws came in and it was, you know, oh, you've had eight pints, so you were driving, well, I'm fine to drive and nobody can tell me I'm not fine to drive. Well, yes, but the science and the law says you won't be allowed to drive. Well, I don't believe in that, it's all nonsense, I'm telling you I'm all right to drive and I'm the best <laughs> judge of it. That it was, uh, it was just uh, odd looking at the attitudes around drink driving, and then yeah, people would have three or four pints, but then the news reporter always "Will you be all right? Will you live on three or four pints a night?" I'm, I'm not sure that's medically possible. It was, uh, it was
1: different <laughs> attitudes, wasn't it? But I think, uh, I think drink driving laws have certainly helped. Yeah, possibly mm-hmm. you 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 wouldn't live long, over that amount of alcohol in your bloodstream. I, I caught a little bit of something earlier today, just flipping channels and a guy obviously drink driving he'd only had four drinks or so he said which presumably explained why his bmw was parked halfway through somebody's garden wall at a very curious angle Were they mega pints? Well, I was going to say, is, is there a pretty flint off Johnny Depp level
2: of, because uh, when he, uh, he was pint. out drinking all the time and found that beer was a bit too, uh, bit too heavy, so he had to swap to wine for, you know, fitness and health reasons. But he didn't want to look like a pansy, so he just had a pint of wine, but then suddenly realised it was <laughs> three, four times the strength, and he'd get absolutely bladdered on it. But, but it was the healthy option.
1: <laughs> Fewer calories.
2: Fewer calories, yes. Keep death off the roads. In terms of, uh, of Formula One safety and and how that filters in and out of, uh, of road cars, you know, we've seen the uh, even if you're not a fan of Formula One and, uh, and bringing Gates in at this stage as uh, not a fan of Formula One, he's uh, still seen plenty of the replays that have been buzzing around from you know official footage and some fan footage as well is bouncing around YouTube of Yu Zhou's accident at the weekend. I mean, that was just a, it was it was one of those very nasty, very sort of Heart stopping accidents, you know, not, not quite as, as, well, nowhere near as fiery, but not quite as dramatic as Grosjean's accident. Mm-hmm. um and and all the time the car's skidding along on its on its lid it's you kind of think well that's dramatic but it's it's actually okay it's it's fine until he hits something it's the way that he came to the stop that he did that mm-hmm. kind of reminded me in a in a little bit of a way of Sophia Fle's accident at Macau a few years back where uh, and I think I showed you this the other day as well, actually Gates so, says you know keep your eye on that little bit there. And then, all of a sudden, bang, a car appears and lands in the catch fencing and and drops down behind it. And you just think a, a car shouldn't end up there. How has it managed that yeah but he was, um it was it was just uh, spectacular about having him pinned it down I mean, we had a few people saying, "Oh, well, the halo stopped him getting out. It's like, yes, but the halo did mean that there was a him to get out of it. I think if there wasn't mm-hmm. a halo, regardless yeah. of how easy it was to get out or not, he would have not walked He'd out of it. On I, yeah, yeah, it, it would have done, because the, the, the roll hoop d- disintegrated and, and disappeared, because the roll hoop is there to withstand a, a certain weight and a certain force, but the car's weighing, well, full of fuel as it's the race star, weighing, what, 800 kilos? It's not designed to be ground into the tarmac with 800 mm. kilos of weight on it at 140 mm. miles an hour. It's, it's just not. So without doubt, the halo
1: saved its life. So many of those big accidents in the, in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, where the car turned over, it, it, you could see why some of the drivers preferred to be thrown out and take their chances, because mm. staying in an upside-down car, the roll hoops were just n- never going to sustain a, 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 a long period uh, at, any, at any speed uh, on tarmac or gravel. And drivers died of massive head injuries, those that had heads at the end of the accident. Mm. The introduction of the halo, yes, it's been contested in its earliest days, but it 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 saved so many lives.
2: Not just in Formula One, of course. This uh, this weekend again, I, I think there's two drivers walking around now who wouldn't be here if it wasn't for halo in uh, in Formula yeah. Two. Formula um, Two, indeed. The uh, the the shunt between Hauger and uh, Nisseni. Uh, yeah. Nisseni had, had had run Hauger wide, and he bounced along the the grass and but t- took off over the sausage curb. I mean, sausage curbs are another argument. We really do need to be removing those from yeah, uh, from all race tracks. Like this week, now, like just go and unbolt them, take them up, rip them out, dig them out, and do whatever you need to do. There's there's no place for those on on any race track anywhere in the world, as far as I'm concerned. But Hauger had, had taken off over this sausage curb. And and his car landed fully on the halo. And it's, it's yeah. the halo that, that stopped Royness and he having his uh, having his head ripped off. Um, yeah. so it's yeah, all all those that had, had derided it as you say on, on looks or aesthetics or whatever else. I mean the for a contrast in image, Vettel in the ninety-two Williams and having his shoulders out and whatever else, you know, Vettel likened it to flying along because you just feel that free. And actually if you wanted to just put your arms out to the side as you were driving along you could do, but I kind of think that's okay on its own. If there'd have been two of those in the F2 race, then um, then it would have been a very different story. But when we were at Goodwood, and we were having a look around the Formula W car, and uh, we were struck, weren't we, Mike? First of all, on, on a, how small and, and teeny tiny it is, and wondering mm. if either of us would fit in it, and we decided probably not, uh, or we'd get in, but maybe not be able to get out. But the uh, just the solid... Lump that is the halo. I mean, it's it's yeah. unsurprising given what it's made out of and what it has to survive. But just you know, I sort of gave it a a grab and a shake and a wiggle, and it's just you you can just feel the the density and the strength in this thing. It it must be. It's a roll cage. Um, it's a roll quite, cage, isn't it? Quite quite comforting. But yeah, it's it, it's, it's more a than
1: a roll thing. cage. You know, I mean, mm. it's 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 rated to. Uh... 6,000 kilos, uh, and this is why the, the, the production of them is not by the teams. The teams are obliged to buy them from a specific manufacturer so that they are uniform and nobody's tempted to shave them a little, make them a little more aerodynamic, whatever. Mm. Uh, you know, 6,000 kilos, as they keep saying, is about the weight of two elephants, but there you go. Uh, I don't know what elephants are doing in Formula 1 cars, but, but uh, <laughs> you know, they they have saved a number of lives since their introduction just a few years ago. Uh, so uh, good on them. And, uh, you know, it's a major, sure. major safety feature. The the thing that I think was most bizarre about that incident was I can't remember. Jim, your knowledge might be more up to date than mine on this, but I can't remember a car being flipped over the tech pro in quite that way. Um, you know, because the, the gap between the tech pro and the catch fencing is quite narrow, and it mm. made the the. I mean, the marshals did a fabulous job, and the doctor to get in there and and work on Joe while he was still uh, effectively upside down. I mean, he was he was trapped at a very odd angle, uh, and clearly, you know, they won't attempt to get the driver out of the car until the doctor gives them the say so that it's safe to do so.
2: I can't remember in uh, in Formula One in anything in any recent memory a car ending up. Like that just sort of flipping and bouncing over between and like the two that. i mean it was a as I said Sophia flourish, and I think there was a there was a crash uh in i think it was f three uh Monza, a few years back and and a guy had run wide and bounced over again a sausage curb on the exit of a you know hundred and something mile an hour corner and the he took off spectacularly and, and almost cleared the catch fencing as well and and ended up in in the forest at the other side. Um again, why why we still had sausage curbs after that weekend, I'm not sure. Um but yeah, it's it's, it's certainly a rarity, but we, we normally associate that kind of thing. But I think even Mark Webber's um Valencia accident with Kovalainen a few years back, you know, yeah. he landed yeah. and was was on the tarmac enough before he hit the tech pro and that just absorbed him and and gently bounces you back out again. It's um no, it's it's unusual. But Always with these things, it's you know it needs to be a oh thank God for Halo hasn't everyone done well yes you've got to be careful not to to pat yourself on the back too much you need to to take everything away from it that you can and say well what what could have made that worse let's avoid that what could have made that better let's let's do some of that
1: I would concur with you about the the dangers of uh, some of the curbs though and and, and you know, anything that has the potential to launch a car in that way really sh- it has no place on, on a track that's supposedly uh, licensed to Formula 1 standards. I don't think it's so much the the circuit's fault, is it? You know, the,
2: they, they are allowed and they're within the rules, and I think a lot of the times these sausage curbs get put in by the governing body of that particular race weekend as a result of what they want to do. They want to manage track limits at a particular turn, so they put in sausage curbs or sawtooth curbs or... They'll move things or do things or do they, they put whatever measures they want in place. You know, MotoGP rock up and they'd say, "Take that out, take that out, take that out, take that out." Or oh, we're not racing. That's it. Get on with it. So there's, but I think I think it goes the other way with the uh, you know track limits. Okay, track limits are track limits. But put a tiny strip of gravel or a strip of grass or a strip of very slick, very low grip surface there to to penalise drivers running wide with a lack of grip, not with the potential to aeroplane themselves up into um, on top of another car into the catch fencing into the crowd whatever you know it's 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 not worth thinking about
1: I think we also need to mention that, that uh, the halo has saved uh, a lot of drivers who have stayed the right way up but have had something impact the cockpit area or actually land in the cockpit area thinking immediately of, of obviously in, the in 94 uh, yeah, uh, 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 Henry Surtees uh, very yeah. much so uh rubensborough kello you know with with Joe bianchi with, yeah mm. with bits of bits of car ending up in the cockpit with them and uh it it seems to have solved that problem thank god for that mm. i think
2: yeah. in uh in terms of uh of formula one safety it's been uh a few different factors, as a result of a few different accidents, and just as a uh, a halo won't protect you in certain accidents, and you need Nomex in other accidents, and you need a hands device in other accidents. There's uh, there's been several strides in Formula One, but I think you know road cars. What's what's the single biggest? biggest safety safe to go. I saw something the other day that that reminded me about Ford having uh, inflatable rear seat belts, and I remember them making a big deal about them when they came out, and they were mm. a, an option seat belts, that cost. Me? Yeah, co- they cost a couple of quid, but they all of a sudden just seemed to go away, and they weren't a big deal anymore. And then I don't think they offer them on anything now. Whereas, flip that round with the, I mean. Road safety, the the obvious answer to that would be the seatbelt, and Volvo yeah. did it the other way. Not only did they not charge Indeed. for it, they also didn't patent it so that everybody else could have it and, and benefit from it. So, um, mm. yeah, I think for, for me, seatbelts is, is one of those things. and Yeah, good yeah. guy Volvo and, uh, you know, Volvo and George Russell should uh, should link up at some point and, uh, and be good guys together. But it's, um, yeah, I think that's that's probably the one the one biggest biggest safety thing i think for the the most number of lives i would say
1: i quite agree there's a number of other things that Bolvar have introduced but there was a, a famous gm executive in the 50s i think it was the no, early 60s when we when we had the the ralph nader things going on with the conveyors that uh, would sort of blow up if they were crashed into from the rear but um he famously in a, a senate hearing said well safety will never sell cars how misguided and blind mm. that man mm. clearly was this is one of those interesting things this is um who you think volvo were the
0: first or pioneers in, in introducing a lot of tech into cars or introducing it as as standard and we've got belts as an example the one thing that, that i've been thinking about adding to the to the onion recently is a third brake light and this is something that appeared through what was it really the the late 90s they started to appear and they became mandatory and sometimes they're irritating they affect the design of the car or whatever but the truth of the matter is the amount of times i've been stopped in traffic and people haven't noticed because i haven't got a third light on at the back and when when cars in front of you when that bulb's gone or the led strips not working you really notice it when you're coming up behind them and the light's not on you think oh Mm. bugger i'm just about to hit them up the back and carrying passengers more now than, than I ever used to. I think I probably should, should chuck that in there. And you think it's, it's odd things that we, that we take for granted that aren't necessarily a safety device and that it protects you inside the car like a seatbelt or like an airbag or thorax bag or whatever it's going to be that we have. But these little things that you sort of don't really notice come in. Day running lights. Again, you sort of think Volvo and Sweden and everything else. Volvo's had lights on at the front for years. I tend to find when you're driving down and people pull in at the side of the road to let people through, if they haven't got day running lights on now, people don't notice that the car's on. Yeah, they, they think you're parked. Yes, and people will then make a move or pull out. And I've noticed this when I've been driving the older stuff or the Mini, for example. People seem to think you stopped, so they just go to move around you. Uh, well, no, mm-hmm. hang on a second. I think it's because people have got so used to seeing day running lights on pretty much everything, I think, since 2013, correct me if I'm wrong. Somewhere, Someone will tell me, I'm sure, all these little things that have come in over time, which you've gone, why do you really need that? And I imagine people have done this with everything. I know people were anti-seat belt, which to me seems absolutely crackers. It seems odd. Yeah,
2: potted. it seems so odd, doesn't it? Mm. It
0: does, but then I've always had it. And the first thing I do when I sit in the car... Is put the seatbelt on. I don't even think about it.
2: When the seatbelt laws came in, there was a, a raft of people who claimed a medical exemption from wearing a seatbelt for whatever stupid unbeknownst reason, wasn't there? And it's like the history does seem to have a, a pattern of repeating itself on that, doesn't it? People think, oh, it's a safety thing. No, I don't like that. A bit like the drink driving videos. Oh, no, that's nonsense. That's for other people. That's not for me. Oh, no, no, no. no they'll never catch on that. No, silly, don't need that. But, it's here. but I think certain things like, um, you know, uh, tyres. Grippy tyres. If you uh, if you drove a car from the the nineteen fifties or nineteen sixties, you'd be um, you know staggered or you know hilariously or otherwise by the lack of grip. But actually, if you bolted a modern set of uh, of alloys with some uh, Michelin Pilot Sport Cup Two Fandango grippy super duper tyres, it would absolutely transform the car. So just having more grip at each corner, allowing you to brake steer maneuver better how many accidents has that avoided because i think ultimately the uh, you can have all the airbags crumple zones you know testicle seat belts whatever you want in a car but actually don't hit anything in the first place is um is probably a good idea mm-hmm. then you never need to test any of these safety systems so um good good brakes and good
1: tires and good steering always help improving the cockpit of the average family car you know i mean i can remember driving cars Yes, I'm a lot older than the rest of you, but I can remember driving cars through the 60s and 70s that had horrible switches that would stick in you, and I I will never forget seeing uh, somebody with the radio knob embedded in the front of the skull. The cars of the 50s and 60s were full of sharp projections. They're not anymore. It's all deformable. It's all soft and squidgy, and those injuries... That occur those injuries that occurred in the cars are, are much fewer than they used to be. Well, I still think the uh, the one of the most graphic uh,
2: representations of of a car injuring somebody I've ever seen was a uh, when I'd gone to the breakers yard to get some bits out of a car after a smash, and um, you know we we walked away and it was absolutely fine. You know, just the odd little bruise here or there. But there was a, uh, an opal manta that had a uh, an MDF parcel shelf with six by nines on it. And, and in my car, I had a, a big heavy MDF parcel shelf with a set of six by nines on it. But this uh, this particular manta had gone, up, uh, gone off the side of a hill or a cliff or a, a something or other. And there were just two bloodstains along the parcel shelf where it had gone nose into the ground and... The car that was doing forty fifty miles an hour suddenly stopped, and the parcel shelf didn't and of course oh, what's God. the parcel shelf height is uh well, it's your head isn't it so it had uh, it had decapitated the driver and the passenger, and I sort of looked at this thing and and uh and my dad said to me uh it was a uh, do you see now why I said you need to bolt that in properly and but you know and I'd fitted you know." Bolts to the uh, to the side of the parcel shelf to lock it in using the mounting points and a little bolt round the back of the uh, seat mounting anchor points to uh, to secure it in and make sure it didn't go anywhere. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a really good point actually, and it was a, oh yeah, un- unsecured loads are never a good thing. Um, mm. But yeah, thankfully we don't uh, we don't see too much of that these days.
1: I would never forget uh, going to collect my daughter on her release from hospital after. Uh, discovering that she got a fractured skull because her friend's car, which didn't have rear seat headrests. Uh, they hit something and the camping weekend tent hotel snapped her head to the point where it fractured her skull.
0: Wow. I remember seeing someone have to break really, really hard emergency stuff on a motorway and a little dog in the back and the dog flew forward and ended up wrapped around the back of the lady's neck and she got out in a lot, quite a lot of pain. The dog was winded I think rather than anything else but yeah it must have, must have hurt you sort of think, I, I kind of understood from that point why you're supposed to put the dog in a cage or belt them in rather than letting them run around and sit in your lap and sit on the parcel shelf and everything else
2: My uh, friend from Scotland when I went to go and, uh, and pick his fiesta up those couple of weeks back was showing me the uh, the harness he has for his Alsatian I mean the the Alsatian is, is bigger Heavy. than a lot of small humans He's he's bigger than at least one of my children but the uh, the harness in the arrangement, he had to strap him in. You know, I'd feel quite safe being strapped into the back of that mm. thing and and having a, a reasonable size shunt. But it's um, yeah, is is a good point. You don't let kids roam around in the car without a seat belt and jump around everywhere. So it's absolutely joke, you know, not. for uh, for your animals.
1: Mm.
0: In other news, I'd I'd like to say hello to the Mini moke owners who listened to our podcast, describing how some of us would probably only want to use those in warmer climbs, and invite us along to go and, and see what it's like to drive it.
1: Well, yes, yeah, so the well they
2: slightly called us out. It it did sound a bit like them fighting words, didn't it? There was there was definitely a bit of a. Not, not quite a gauntlet—a driving glove slapped round the face, wasn't it? It was like, get, come on yeah. then, have a go. Uh, yes, the gauntlet has been thrown down. So I wanted to say hi in particular to Andy,
0: who who's invited me into the fold and said uh, and said that I should I should come along and experience one for myself, and maybe take one for a drive. We I mean, we did move on at one point to to talking about moke clothes, uh, which which presumably mean waterproof and and warm. But he insists that if it is raining. Uh, regardless of of how much is raining, assuming you're going fast enough, you don't get wet if you've got the roof on because the water doesn't come in the side. So, we will find out. Fair we much. will find out in due course. But uh, an absolutely lovely chap who um, who, who wrote us a, a very uh, impassioned uh, message to say uh, to say no, you're wrong. Uh, so I look forward to being proved wrong as a as resident Mini nut. Uh, I look forward to meeting him soon. It was
2: almost a step outside if you want to drive one sort of thing. Yes. But in, in a nice friendly way, wasn't it? So, do you want to step outside and drive one? Why you step out? Well you can't drive them indoors. Well, okay, good point. Yeah, let's go, let's go. Well, it was a nice day, let's go. It's, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a friendly challenge,
0: wasn't it? It's a good amount of cheeky banter and, and the type that, that we know and and love from uh, from being in the cars. And I I will say actually as as a, a point I've been to to many 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 car shows and such over my life and i'm quite enjoying taking my lad along he's starting to appreciate them more and more now than he ever has really and we go around and he, see, he sees He's says i want to see the minis for example with we at the this weekend lots of lots of aston Martins, a db5 a db6 and really exciting stuff this was at the uh the sad case um uh, annual show in uh in storrington which i recommend looking up if you're somewhere around about the mid sussex area or in sussex generally. Look up sad case. It's, uh, it's well worth a look. Strongton and District Car and Sports Car Enthusiasts. I wonder if they came up with the name first or the acronym. Anyway, um, really great show and a really great bunch of people who are obviously as tongue-in-cheek as, as we are. Um, and he just wanted to find the minis, uh, Austin, and we, we had a good old look round. Um, but for me, when when you sort of start to, um, to go on the various different rallies and tours and you, you show the cars and stuff, it it actually ends up becoming more about the people. But, I mean, you know, they say, uh, they describe your job badly. Uh, and you might have seen this. So a photographer, for example, would say, i go to weddings and shoot people or something. It's just it's it sounds terrible, doesn't it? You, it's the worst thing you could possibly think of. But they're a photographer. And uh, Amy said, to me, so what, what do you do with these kind of things? Well, I stand in a field. Yes. Mostly with other guys that drive the same car as I do and talk about them. And it sounds very bizarre when you say it like this. But the truth of the matter is I've met so many wonderful guys and girls that that have been into these machines and uh, proud to show them off and talk about them and and have these sort of tongue-in-cheek conversations such as, such as we've said about Andy, who's, who's, who loves his moke and, and is keen for us to try and to, to, to share these experiences with people because that's part of the whole thing, I think. We've had a lady who got a 1927 Austin. It was a seven seat of this thing. It was huge, coach built body on the back. And the seats, the, the, if you think about the depth of a normal car seat, at the back were twice as deep, but absolutely huge, so comfy. But when we went up and, and my lad was saying that this, Austin, this is an Austin come in and have a, I say, that looks, come in, do you want to come in and try it? Do you want to come in, you know, and, and play with a steering wheel? Do you want to, you know, whatever? And it's part of being able to to enjoy these cars and share them, I think is, is really exciting. It's, it, cars are something that we are passionate about, but what are they? If they're just, you know, a box of metal that you that you can sit and look at. Some of them, yes, are, I guess a kind of art, but it's about the shared experiences and be able to share this with people. I said earlier that I've never bought a car for other people. And that that is absolutely true, but I've definitely enjoyed the people that I've met and experiences that I've had when I've bought things. So I was looking back quite fondly at um, some pictures of my old XR three uh, convertible I had when I was when I was at uni the first time around. and some friends of mine posted up saying this this was excellent. We used to go on road trips to places throughout. sometimes in the middle of winter when it was freezing cold with the roof off, just to random places for no real reason, and um, with some music on. I, there's a, a video on so one of my mates as you saying to me oh is this car okay it's sort of okay are the brakes any good <laughs> no not really and it's all these kind of you know these shared experiences that you have uh, that i think makes car culture and talking about cars and speaking with you guys and thanks thank you so much everyone for listening we care about this more than you know that make it all worthwhile make it interesting and and that, you know something that we we know and love and enjoy and i guess probably on that note
2: it's time to say good night to you all, or good day or good morning or whenever you're listening to us. Anyway, from me now, it's good night. From me, Jim, it's, uh, it's goodbye and just uh, thank you for that uh, that motivational speech. I feel uh, thoroughly inspired and, uh, and thoroughly proud and just very uh,
1: very patriotic for some reason. I'm not, not quite sure why. UK Motor Talk. I, I think that should be the mantra for any car club up and down the country. I, I really think you hit the nail on the head there, Michael. So it's not the cars, it's the people you enjoy in them. No. Exactly. So Good night, folks. Thanks for listening. Good night, all. Take care. Good night.
0: UK Motor Talk, a First Take Media production.